It's time for another episode of Tucson Means Business, featuring Tucson's top entrepreneurs and leaders in the business world. And now your host, Mark Bishop. My special guest businessman in Tucson is a gentleman who has a skill set that is unique, authentic, and irresistible. I'm referring to Jeffrey Prather. He's a retired uh, Army officer, ex-DEA special agent, and a former DIA intelligence officer turned whistleblower. Now, that we'll get into a little bit later, how he uh, has been targeted by the feds. Welcome, Jeffrey. Thanks, Mark. Now, in addition to uh, hosting his own talk radio show, The Pray the Point, he's also a martial arts master and teacher and an Apache wisdom teacher, kinetic uh, quotient creator and trainer, firearms and horsemanship instructor, and a published author. Along with that, he's a, a SAG film actor. That's, that's the, uh, you know, the legal membership, uh, a speaker, father, husband, and a chaplain. Wow, and if that's not enough, he also has a business in motivation and is available for one-on-one mentoring, group training, interviews, speaking engagements, and corporate team-building events. Man, you are a busy soul, aren't you? Uh, you make me sound tired when I listen to all that. <laughs> well, I want to get it all out of the way. I mean, it's who you are. Uh, where does one start in uh, interviewing you, my friend? Uh, wherever you like. Um all right. Well, this, this is a Tucson business. I guess I could say I've been in business in Tucson since 1990 when I opened my uh, martial arts business. Right. And what's that called again? Uh, that's called BujinKhanUSA.com. BujinKhan means Warrior Spirit School. And that's uh, an authentic Japanese ninja tradition. I studied in Japan with the Grandmaster. Wow. And uh, where are you located? I work 4518 East. Broadway, just west of Swan on the south side, uh, right next to uh, Polish Cottage and Crave Coffee. Um, are you a native Tucsonan, Jeffrey, or from some other part of this wonderful country? No, I'm not. Uh, my wife is, but I uh, was born in Cincinnati, Ohio. Well, you founded uh, one business in 1990. Um, what was that again? Uh, BooJinKhanUSA.com, B-U. J-I-N-K-A-N-U-S-A.com. All right. So that was the one in 1990. Then you did a second since, uh, what, 95. What was that one? What was that called? Warrior School was formerly uh, LLC'd in uh, 2002, but it's really been around since uh, 95. And warriorschool.com uh, is a mainly a defense uh, consultant company. I have trained over 20,000 military personnel with every branch, including the Coast Guard, with classes as big as 600. Wow. Uh, including all the intelligence uh, agencies, most of the federal agencies. But I also uh, train locals, and I have a, uh, a handgun uh, martial arts class every Wednesday night. And that's still uh, still going. That's at the same location, warriorschool.com. Well, um, you're going through everything else with... Uh you know, the virus at the moment, how's business for you overall? Uh, are you unique? Well, we had to shut down because we fall under a, a bar or yoga uh, studio. So according to the mayor and the governor, we did shut down. We have reopened. Uh, we are taking precautions. Um, but, uh, you know, my third business uh, is uh, grin-x.com, and that's competitive intelligence. 
And uh, I really specialize in intelligence, especially in the biotech uh, field. So I'm very well aware of what COVID-19 is and what it isn't and what the precautions uh, need to be. All right. We might come back a little later then on the uh, Green X. Now, uh, talking about the martial arts, you were inducted twice into the U.S. Martial Arts Hall of Fame and featured uh, in U.S. and Japanese martial arts magazines and uh, published in uh, tactical journals uh, as a martial arts master. Uh, I mean, that's that's not a bad effort. At what age did you seek that discipline out, and, and why, may I ask? That's a good story. So, first off, I was adopted out of St. Joseph's Orphanage uh, by a wonderful uh, couple, and um, product of rape, by the way, could still be aborted under today's laws, but wasn't. And uh, my adopted dad wanted me to join the football team. I was afraid. So he didn't scold me. He just took, started taking me to martial arts uh, schools. And I started back in 1967. Uh, that's when I began martial arts. And I've still stayed with it uh, ever since. Oh, well, I tell you what, your life history, which we're getting into, Jeffrey, reads like a Tom Clancy thriller. Did you, uh, growing up as an adopted orphan, dream of what you might want to be or perhaps the adventures your journey has taken you? Yeah, I joke that there's pictures of me, you know, uh, doing as a kid all the stuff I'm doing now and that I haven't really changed much. And uh, I saw where I wanted to go. and. Um, you know, my dad is still alive, and uh, he is a World War II Pacific veteran, and so I'm a retired uh, Army veteran. He exposed me also to uh, Apache culture later on. I much later found out that my birth mom was uh, born in Indian Territory. So a lot of the things he exposed me to sent me to you know private Catholic school where I had a good education and, most importantly, discipline. Um, so, yeah, I've really uh, gotten to do so much, uh, more than uh, I deserve. I'm very blessed. You've lived a great life. Now, a, a world-class firearms uh, instructor, retired, disabled Army veteran. This is now another business you run. But uh, when we talk about specializing in high-stakes strategic analysis, you know, like continuity of operations, human terrain, and competitive intelligence preparation of the marketplace... When when does this come into play? How, how does that work in the business world? Well, so I've been an intelligence officer. I was commissioned in 1984 uh, as, from ROTC at Ohio State when I got my master's in international relations. I have two bachelors from Ohio, uh, from University of Arizona. But uh, I became a military intelligence officer back then, and then uh, I've stayed in the reserves for about 25 years. And then I ended up in Defense Intelligence Agency, and I also worked uh, intelligence. For example, I worked at the High Intensity Drug Trafficking Area Task Force Office, HIDA, uh, with the DEA here in Tucson. So I've done intelligence uh, for a long time, and um, I, asked, I used to do it through Warrior School, uh, which I used to do a lot of uh, security as well. Like I've I've uh, bodyguarded presidential candidates and. McCain and Santorum and folks like that. But competitive intelligence is really something different that I got into in 2014 when a longtime uh, friend and uh, 
businessman needed some help. And so I started uh, doing competitive intelligence, which is competitive intelligence is taking a, a company and showing it where it's in the marketplace, who its friends are, uh, who its enemies are, and what's the, what's the, uh, the route to success, the waypoints, navigating the human terrain. Uh, a lot of people don't even know what it is. Uh, they think it's business intelligence. Mm. Well, I mean, uh, I'm trying to, you know, racking my brains around it. I haven't heard of it before now, but uh, the closest I can come to it is like when you do a, you know, a business proposition or something, it's like a sweat analysis, you know, the SWOT analysis, I should say. The strengths, the weaknesses, the opportunities, and the threats of even forming the company or the business related to who else is out there, who who are your competitors. But this isn't that, is it? No, it's part of that. And I mean, part of that is uh, business security, operational security. And um, a, a lot of folks uh, think only of cybersecurity and uh, physical security and personnel security, but that's uh, passive and reactive, competitive intelligence. And when I first got into this uh, with my um, friend back in 2014, he had a lot of breaches and he was working uh, in, uh, and I mean, it's on the, the Grin-X website. So um, this is history. Is and by the way, Grin stands for Genetics, Robotics, Information Technology, and Nanotechnology. Dash X, the Crossroads.com. So um, I've really spent most of my uh, since 2014 in the genetics, a little bit in the end of of nano um, technology, but uh, uh, keeps me uh, pretty busy. But for example, he was with a, um, a, a genetics company, and he was working on a gene therapy uh, cure for HIV-AIDS. And uh, one of the things that he didn't realize at the time was that the big pharma uh, companies make billions of dollars a year medicating uh, those with HIV-AIDS. So one of the things after I... Uh, helped him shore up his physical security uh, and other breaches was to let him know uh, who his threats were. And the threats, of course, uh, when, you're, when your company is labeled as a disruptive threat to a billion-dollar industry, then you can expect you know, corporations to come after you. And that doesn't, misses, that doesn't mean you know, shooting you or anything, but that means, uh, for example, uh, corporate espionage is um, mm-hmm. stealing technology. And that's been happening. And the, the biggest um, story of that was in January when uh, Dr. Lieber at Harvard was arrested by the FBI um, for spying for Wuhan. Uh, and the other part of that is uh, corporate sabotage, which can just be tying you up in court uh, while your patents or trademarks um, ling- lang- uh, languish. Ah, right. Well, that makes sense. Yeah, interesting. Fascinating stuff. Well, um, we'll got to come back on the Grin X thing too. That that uh, that appeals to me a little. But I want to go on to this now. Now, you're an ex DEA special agent, right? And uh, a former DIA branch chief, specializing in high stakes strategic analysis. And this was the, uh, you know, uh, continuity of operations, human terrain, competitive intelligence. So you're really prepared, aren't you, with your background? Uh, for the marketplace, what advice would you give, you know, business today in, in a nutshell? 
Well, uh, for example, Coop Continuity of Operations is something I did for the uh, DIA headquarters. Uh, of course, that's Defense Intelligence Agency. That's the Pentagon CIA. And um, what that, in a nutshell, means that, it, for example, if there was another 9-11 strike in D.C., where would the command structure move and be able to uh, function? And uh, I don't know if you remember back when uh, during the uh, Iran hostage situation mm-hmm. under President Carter mm-hmm. uh, and President Reagan was coming in, but that's when uh, Delta Force got its first operation. And, uh, you know, that was uh, a crisis because there was a CH-47 that crashed into a, uh, sliced into a C-130 in the desert. And um, the uh, Delta commander, uh, Jerry Beckwith back then, uh, taped a light stick, a chem light stick, onto a stick and stuck it in the ground. And that became, in the crisis in the flames and uh, the death, and uh, that became the center of operations. So he had to move from uh, his command aircraft to sticking a light stick in the desert. So continuity of operations, I also did this for the DEA in New York, um, is being able to uh, continue your business operations. The first thing always is personnel safety. But after that, you want to be able to move uh, to another location uh, quickly and uh, vitally, you know, whether that's on foot or bicycle or or whatever, and continue. And right now, you're seeing a lot of businesses that did not have any coup plans uh, in place. Uh, They weren't prepared to continue uh, with this plague, which really, you know, I talk about this on my show, and another website is jeffreypraser.com with my podcast. But really, this was a um, bioweapon that was released uh, to create uh, a psychological operations impact for economic warfare with the Chinese. This is really what that is, and it it has served its purpose. Mm. Uh, and a lot of people weren't prepared uh, for that. Um, the the folks that I work for obviously were prepared um, yeah, because we planned for that. But a lot of surprisingly, a lot of big businesses do not even if they have a competitive intelligence shop and most major companies do have a competitive intelligence shop, but it's pretty, pretty limited in scope. Yeah. Well, let's face it. A lot of companies don't even have uh, security for their, uh, you know, online networks and so on for their IT structures. Never mind anything else. Um, That's I'm, true too. You they, they often think that an IT guy is a, is a cybersecurity guy and it's not the same thing at all. Hmm. No, cybersecurity is uh, critical these days. Interesting thought, though, on the uh, on the Chinese in reference to uh, reference to the to the COVID nineteen. We might come back on that a bit later. Now, a thought leader. You're a business coach, radio host, life coach, a skills teacher, a chaplain, and a dad and a husband. I'm surprised you found time for that. But how does this role for you intertwine with such a dynamic career history? Well, I integrate it uh, all. You know, my, my chaplaincy is uh, ChristChaplaincy.com, and I, we founded that uh, 10 years ago, and um, we do our services online out of our homes, um, for example. Uh, and uh, people who do horsemanship with me are part of the chaplaincy sometimes. I've had businessmen 
I've had scientists from Australia um, mm. come and do horsemanship with me. Uh, said it was a life-changing experience because it's not about just riding or competing. It's about connecting with the horse and the uh, native uh, tradition of mm. relationing. Right. Uh, and these are really, you know, we're talking, you know, genius scientists and Nobel Prize winners. So, you know, it is a matter of looking at things differently and then integrating them um, you know, people think it's just about a profit, and that is the worst thing to do business for. Uh, but, you know, anybody from Zig Ziglar, anybody will tell you tell you that. I'm speaking with Jeffrey Brather on Tucson Means Business. He's a published author as well. We're going to go into his books in just a second, but I do want to remind you we're proudly sponsored by the 49ers Golf and Country Club, and they're open for business. Uh, the restaurant is, but of course, with the regulations and the uh, the stretching and the, the distances apart and so on. But new menu and uh, open for business, uh, take away, of course, or, you know, take out. And uh, things are coming back there. So keep that in mind. And new menu, great food and uh, open for business. That's the 49ers Grill, the Rincon Grill up on Tanker Verde. Um, Jeffrey Prather. Let's talk about your first book here. What well, was it? Your first chase, I think it was called. Was that your first book? Uh, that was my second. That um, was your second. What was your first book? First book was uh, Initiation: Boys Are Born, Men Are Trained. Oh, uh, my right. journey with an Apache medicine man. Right now, uh, Initiation was the first book. Boys are born, men are trained. Hell of a good title. What's the book about? Uh, well, you know, I was telling you that, uh, my adopted dad, um, exposed me to my native heritage. And when I was out here at the university of Arizona in uh, 1978, I went into a, uh, moccasin store and met an uh, Apache elder and he, uh, adopted me and trained me. And, um, really the book is about that story, but the, the, the overreaching view, because I've taught that uh, initiation for over 30 years now, and that's taught worldwide. I've taught that in Australia, taught mm. that in Japan. Can you um, share, that in share a little school. bit about that? What What is an, an initiation? Explain what that is. Well, the premise is that our society uh, is in crisis, and uh, our society is in crisis not only because we are uh, killing our children and preying on our children, which is uh, – Abortion. I'm totally anti-abortion, um, but also because children are preying on each other. Children are raping and murdering each other at ever younger ages, and no society that uh, preys on their young will survive. Right. It's just, it's just simple <laughs> math. Mm. So uh, the reason that uh, I I posit that. Um, uh, children are praying each other is because uh, grown, physically grown uh, males, and to a lesser extent females, uh, are not spiritually or emotionally or mentally mature. And so uh, that's why you see all the gangs and you see, at the worst part, you see gangs. At the best part, you see uh, shows like Friends, um, where mm -hmm. there are 30-somethings who just really have no concept of how to conduct themselves. And the reason for that, in turn, is that uh, there are no rites of passage training 
uh, kids at adolescence at puberty for adulthood. Mm. And what tribal cultures do, uh, especially the Apache, uh, but all of tribal cultures, the Maasai uh, in Africa, right. uh, they all, at, at, uh, traditionally, at puberty, they separate the genders and they train them. And then there's a time period when uh, their childhood ends. And they are expected then to uh, not just be physically you're mature when you can uh, reproduce, but mentally and emotionally and spiritually is something else. When you can relate well, uh, when you can interact well, when you can serve well, you, when you can love uh, well. Mm-hmm. And that is a much more difficult proposition that we are not taught at all today. So that's the premise of the book. Um, and uh, in tribal cultures, uh, you know, we think of cycles uh, as spring, summer, winter, fall. Yes. But uh, tribal people think of uh, childhood, youth, adulthood, and old age. So it's mm. a good book. It's a funny book. Interesting. Uh, and, and, it's true, and, and it happens all around Tucson. This can be got uh, on, on Amazon, of course. Yeah, and uh, you can still go up to Steve's uh, Desert Sun shop. Is up. Uh, give him a plug there up on uh, mm-hmm. Sunrise and Swan, and he's still there. And people who read the book walk in and say, wow, Steve's just like you said he was in the book. <laughs> My Apache teacher, Philip, passed on right. in 88 when I started teaching. But, uh, that's, but it's, uh, it's uh, helped a lot of people. Um, I have students who have been with me for 30 years, and wow. uh, that training has really transformed their lives. You know, quinceaneras and uh, bar mitzvahs and bar mitzvahs are pretty just um, social. They're not really that practical. No, I, I understand where you're coming from with that. When I, um, I had the uh, fortune when I was growing up in Australia to live in the outback at different times, and I'm talking outback, outback, and... Um, I lived with indigenous tribes, and uh, it was there that I saw the first experience of, you know, 12-year-old boys being sent out to hunt on their own and survive. Uh, Oh, walkabout. Walkabout, if they were going to go into manhood. Walkabout is very much, uh, that is walkabout, but uh, also the tribe moving together and moving around. Very much like, I think, the indigenous American Indians, but, you know, manhood. Yeah, you're right. You're right. That is uh, the Apache and the Aborigines of Australia. I love Australia. They have a lot in common. Yeah. You know, and uh, by gee, I mean, when you're just out there at 12 years of age with a spear and maybe a shield and just the good old boomerang, which does come back, (laughs) uh, that's about it. With some big predators coming at you, I mean, my hat's off to them. Always an interesting show with the 49ers Golf and Country Club sponsoring this Tucson Means Business. That we're very grateful for. And, uh, you know, it'd be nice for you to meet somebody by the name of Mackenzie. I call her Macca. <laughs> Mackenzie Taylor is her name. Hi there, Macca. Hi, great to see you. <laughs> Mackenzie Taylor is the executive chef of the 49ers. And she is also the food and beverage manager, correct? That's correct, yes. You're a busy little girl, aren't you? (laughs) Lots and lots to do. What's your background? How on earth did you get into food? Well, I fell in love with food when I was actually pregnant with my daughter 13 and a half years ago and was watching Martha Stewart a lot. And I decided I really wanted to learn how to cook just like she did. And so I just got a passion for cooking and baking and um, 
entertaining. And so when I came to Tucson 12 years ago, I enrolled at Pima Community College through their culinary school program mm -hmm. and spent two and a half years in that program, met some amazing local chefs, uh, had the opportunity to start working for a catering company in town, uh, worked with them for many years, worked at a couple of restaurants downtown and just really expanded my horizons. Uh, when I got the opportunity to be the executive chef at Pantano Christian Church uh, on the east side. That was amazing. We got to feed so many people, and it was such a community-driven atmosphere. It was amazing. I think it was in the vicinity of some 2,000 or something, wasn't it? Yes. We have a lot a lot of um, wonderful members who come weekly and who uh, join us for breakfast and lunch. That's a lot of cooking, isn't it? <laughs> it was a lot of cooking. It was a lot of cooking, but it truly prepared me for what we're doing now, too, at the Country Club. So. There you go. Now, this um, wonderful training that you got at B what was that, two years, did you say? Yeah, it was just over two years. Mm -hmm. um, and it's an amazing culinary program that's local here in town. Uh, it's all local chefs who are the instructors. Right. So you learn everything from hot foods to gar manger, to baking, to pastry. It's the amazing. Works. The works. You took to it like a duck takes to water. <laughs> exactly. Or orange say. sauce. <laughs> <laughs> and because it's um, it's evident in your, in your food. I mean, uh, people at the Rincon Grill, which is at the 49ers Golf and Country Club, who proudly sponsor Tucson Means Business, uh, they're raving about uh, all your wonderful changes and things that you've done. Uh, so I think you learned with a passion, and I think it's part of you. It's just who you are, yes? Thank you, yes. Yeah, the passion definitely radiates. I always say if you don't have passion in the kitchen, uh, get out, because it is too hot and crazy in there if you're not doing what you love. Exactly. And although you know, you're regarded as back of house because as executive chef, you're teaching and training and also overseeing the other uh, chefs, and other people in what we call the kitchen area and so on. But you're also front of house, aren't you, with your other role? Yes. So I've had such an interest in banquets and, and people. I love people. I always say they can't keep me back in the kitchen. I've got to come out to the floor, see the dining room, talk to people, touch tables, just check on everything. I really want to make sure that the quality of the service and the food that you're getting when you come into the 49er Country Club is just overall 100%. Um, it's really been amazing to be able to uh, work with the front of house team, which I call the hospitality team. So our hospitality team and our culinary team um, really have the same direction, the same vision for where we're going and I think that's really exciting to see it is it's and you are leading the fray there's no doubt about that and when we talk about you know uh, there's fine dining and and then there's just you know finger foods right and just <laughs> bar foods it's interesting that the Rincon Grill is neither Right. But it's, it's all. It's everything. Exactly. We want you to have amazing bar food. We want you to have a nice cold beer after a hot game of golf out there and feel comfortable ordering soft pretzels and wings. Uh, but we also want to really give you a variety on our dinner menu as well of, you know, beautiful mahi-mahi and salmon and chicken piccata. Uh, and of course, it, it wouldn't be a country club without a perfect club sandwich. So <laughs> we definitely have those offerings as well. Mackenzie Taylor. Executive chef extraordinaire of the Rincon Grill. When you do go there, ask for her. She'd love to meet you. We'll talk more with her later on. Talking with Jeffrey Prather, your second book is called Chase. It's about a Border Patrol agent and an Apache rancher, John Horse, fight. Uh, no, John Horse, uh, with the fight to stop terrorists smuggling a suitcase, nuke across the southern border to the Fiesta Bowl. I've been here long enough to know and remember the Fiesta Bowl. 
this is uh, fact-based fiction by an ex-DEA special agent, Jeffrey, whom you're listening to, who spent a decade on the border. By gee, I bet you've got a few stories there to talk about. Yeah, sure do. I was on the border with DEA from 1990 to 2000. Okay. So, uh, and uh, <laughs> you want to share anything? That you can share sure, well that way. Sure. Well, let's talk about the well, book. The, mean, the uh, book is about a you know, I mean, terrorists trying to get across the border. I mean, you know, Americans back east don't realize the borders here open as much as what we've had and what we've got. And there's lots of bad eggs that come across, you know, parts of the world to come up through Mexico, don't they? And they sure do. Here is a case with smuggling a suitcase with a nuke in it across the southern border. What was the plan to do with that nuke? So that was, uh, this, and all at the end of every chapter of the book, I show newspaper articles or, or research that shows how feasible this could happen. Um, when Russia falls, uh, they sell some of their nukes. Uh, uh, Muslim terrorists uh, buy some of them. The, uh, mm-hmm. the book actually starts off in... Um, in uh, the um, the Burj, the the highest building in the world, and then it shows the suitcase nuke coming across and being smuggled up by terrorist groups. And there are documented terrorist groups on the border. And I've I've spent a lot of time uh, on the border. In 1993, um, my first big case was uh, seizing 2,000 pounds of cocaine in Nogales. Uh, it was on CNN and U.S. News, and it was on horseback. And so uh, the the book is, it's fiction, but it's very close to reality. Right. Uh, because these uh, transnational cartels are bigger than governments, and uh, nothing passes through the plazas, the corridors from Arizona to Mexico without um, aid being paid by the cartel. So uh, originally it was going to be a script, and it was... Uh, because I had done a movie um, with Academy Award winner Wes Studi, he's a Cherokee Vietnam vet, and uh, he got a hold of Val Kilmer, and Val Kilmer called me up, and Val was going to do it. And but as what happens with many movie deals, it it fell apart. <laughs> that was a shame. But it's still a really good book. Because I think if that uh, had have come out as a movie, you know, at that time, or just after. Um, I think people would realize a little more about just how serious the border factor is. All, all they see, and it upsets me too, all they see is the media showing, uh, you know, babies behind cages and families starving or starving of water. Uh, they don't see the other side of it by the looks of the... I mean, I'm a guy looking in from the outside, you know what I mean? And it's obvious to me. So... Uh, God knows to guys like you and the things that you saw. Are the cartels that strong, are they? Are they really? I mean, movies are movies, but it's all about money, right? Yeah, and that's why the movie didn't get made. It's because it was too politically uh, incorrect. Um, and the cartels are stronger than you think. Uh, again, I, have, uh, I did a pilot for a TV show because I've done TV as well on the border and uh, – I learned there that there were congressmen, people that had been uh, bought off. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, the fentanyl crisis in America is drugs, fentanyl coming up uh, through the border, but it's coming out of China. The human smuggling, human slavery is resist. Drugs I call chemical slavery. Right. And then uh, illegal smuggling is human slavery. And often 
uh, child and and uh, female predator slavery. So right. it's really uh, a terrible scourge, and it's not at all what it's portrayed to be um, no. in the media. But I, and I'll say quickly, you know, I worked. Uh, first in the Army, in uh, the SIOP officer and with the 7 Special Forces, all through Central and South America. And then I went back um, with the DEA when I was a snowcap special operator. And the Latin American people, Central and South American people, are great people. I really, I've been welcomed into so many homes, little dirt floor homes and fed. And mm-hmm. uh, I have worked at all levels at senior government to, um, and the Andes with the Amad Andes. Great people. And most of them are very hardworking and patriotic and um, and religious, uh, but uh, the governments are very corrupt. Um, unfortunately, ours is that corrupt now too. It's being reformed, but pretty bad. Now, the third book was all about the Japanese specialty fighting. Okay, that's an ancient Japanese art, a very special. How how do you transform all of that into a book? Is it about the history behind it or the actual movements itself? Or what's that book called? Well, that that book is uh, CQC, Close Quarter Combat Book. That's out of print. And uh, that is, uh, I trained about 17,000 um, military personnel in combatants uh, for when uh, the second, uh, when the war on terror was happening, there was a requirement. Mm-hmm. So that's when I was doing 600 students a day with 10 assistant instructors, 10 accounts, Camp Shelby. Um, and uh, that's based upon my martial art, which is ninjutsu, which the ninja are not what they are portrayed in the movies, because just like the Indians aren't what they're portrayed, because the victors write the history. Um, hmm. So, you know, uh, the, it's a counterculture, just like uh, Native culture is here. But uh, that book's out of print. But I'm... I, I'm writing a lot of uh, a lot of books right now, but the the book and the four DVDs used to sell in Army Air Force uh, exchange stores worldwide. That was really nice. Yeah, uh, I was honored to be able to do that. The exchange uh, stores do very well in lots of uh, good different products. So let me ask you this, Jeffrey: for any budding young writers out there, what's the best advice that you can give them when they're starting out? Well, they should write about what they know. Uh, that's really important and, and what they're uh, passionate about. You know, a lot of people have asked me to write my story about my whistleblowing and being fired by DEA uh, one year from retirement. Uh, but that that wasn't that big a deal to me. I made one of these days. Mm-hmm. Uh, but initiation was really important to me to show how we could um, heal society and help our youth grow up, and I've done that a great deal. Mm-hmm. So, let, so let me and ask you. was a lot of fun. When you, when you, I mean, did you take down notes for later on when you were doing, you know, your work uh, on to, to write about, or, or when you were ready? Did you just sort of sit down and and it started to flow? Well, that's an interesting question. So uh, I had so. When Philip died, I was deployed, and I wrote his sister up on San Carlos Reservation, and she wrote me back. He died, and so that's when I started teaching because he had told me that I needed to uh, carry on this tradition, um, and so I've been teaching that for over 30 years, and so, I mean, it's pretty second nature to me. I have teachers uh, around the country that teach it, 
a lot of kids that have grown up uh, doing it, a lot of lives that have been saved and changed by doing that. So when I, when, when DEA was coming after me for my whistleblowing, uh, they moved me to New York and, uh, you know, I'm a country boy. I'm, my horses are out back I'm, and uh, <laughs> I'm always out in uh, New York. I had no interest in. So I just sat down and wrote, you know, I, oh, yeah. I just wrote and wrote and wrote. It's still, I'm starting to do that as I'm getting older now, 63. Um, but I'm still pretty busy, but that's what you got to do. But you got to write. But when, but because mm-hmm. I had done it for so long, it flowed out of me very, right. very. Yeah. You're, you're, you're writing what, what you know, what's already in, imprinted. It's in your soul. You know, when we come back, we're going to talk to Jeffrey Bather about, uh, his whistleblowing days, what was the output of that, why, how, and what and where, and uh, some other very interesting things as well. Because you're listening to Tucson Means Business. He is a businessman and a very busy businessman here in Tucson. Uh, your host is Mark Bishop, and I'm very honoured to have as our sponsor the 49ers Golf and Country Club, very loyal to me, both from my radio days and now from my podcasting days as well here on Tucson Business Radio X. Send the 49ers is open. Uh, the grill is open. Great food, new menu, and so on. Uh, you can play golf. You know, you just, uh, they've even got little things in the cup, so you don't have to go touching uh, the the, uh, the stick, uh, the flag, and, and so on. And, uh, you know, when you eat and all of that, you just uh, make sure that, you, that you, you're positioned X amount of feet apart in the restaurant anyways. Plenty of room. So, you know, and uh, just follow the rules. But we'd love to see you back there. Uh, Jeffrey Prather is my guest. It's Tucson Means Business on the Business Radio X Network across America. Now, Jeffrey, why has Warrior School trained units from every branch of the U.S. military, including the Coast Guard, CIA, the DIA, the NSA, and many uh, special operations forces, as well as teams from local, state, and federal law enforcement, including the FBI. Well, uh, so when I was, uh, with seven special forces group, I wasn't on a team, but I was on a B team, which is a support team. Cause I was the Intel guy, but I got to go to, um, special operations tactics school, which is precision shooting. So I was taught by the best gunfighters in the world, Delta operators, how to, uh, shoot, uh, for you, uh, down under that's SAS. Uh, that's the corollary. It was developed off the British SAS. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then I became a uh, DEA firearms instructor. That's a very difficult course in 93. So uh, I'm, I've always been teaching a lot of uh, gunfighting and firearms. Um, so, And I've also gotten to go to evasive driving, like wounded passenger driving school and all that. So, How did you come to be a strategy consultant to Tucson based is is it Kelly Mune or Kellerman Mune, um, yeah. which sold to CSL Beering for something like four hundred and sixteen thousand dollars? One of million dollars? And my research oh, I came across that. Hmm. Yeah, I've lost you, Jeffrey. I've lost hmm. you again. Something's gone wrong with the old phone here. Maybe someone's listening in, eh? <laughs> oh, not a problem. What I want to do, Jeffrey, is come back and talk about some other stuff with you and uh, some other. You're very interesting. You've got a great history, and I'd love to do another show with you and talk about uh, 
lots of things that maybe we don't know about. Uh, I might do that on the Mark Bishop show, which is a separate deal. And, uh, and you know, we could find out a little bit more about perhaps what's going on in the world today. Jeffrey Prather was my guest. He's here in Tucson. He's a businessman and lots of wonderful past history. And uh, he was brought to us today by uh, the 49ers Golf and Country Club. And uh, I'll have him back on again. And in the interim, go to jeffreyprather.com and uh, hear his podcasts. Uh, there's quite a few on there and there's a lot of interesting stuff. And, uh, you know, judge for yourself, okay? So um, I trust you enjoyed what you did here. We'll come back with another Tucson Means Business fairly soon. 